Welcome to Big Blend Radio, where we celebrate variety and how it adds spice to quality of life. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, Today, we are so excited to welcome award-winning author Michael J. Cooper to the show. And he's joining us to talk about his award-winning novel, Wages of Empire. I mean, we are going into the Great War of Civilization. In fact, this kind of takes me back to childhood history, you know, history class. But you know what? Historical fiction is always better than sometimes sitting in school with a textbook. Wouldn't you say, Michael? Welcome. Absolutely. Well, I'll try not to make it sound too didactic, but uh, there's a lot to learn here. But uh, again, hopefully it'll go down easily. Oh, no, I think that's the beauty of, you know, historical novels. And then, you know, it's a coming of age story, too, which I think is something that we can all immediately relate to, because I think no matter what our age is, we're still coming of age, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Yeah, and 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 so the hero of the piece indeed is a sixteen-year-old young man, and uh, that really does, I think, introduce a good uh, way of drawing the reader into a personal story because it's his journey that uh, we focus on. Although there's so much going on around that that impacts him either directly or indirectly for the present, uh, it is, I think, uh, an important uh, linchpin. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of forget about the Great War of Civilization, too. You know, I think... I haven't I, forgotten about it lately while I've been writing this, that's for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. But it kind of ties into history of today, right? You yeah, know? well, that's the thing, because, you know, the the map that we have today, especially of the Middle East, was largely drawn after the Great War, after mm-hmm. the war of uh you know 1914 and 1918 1919 and we're still basically dealing with the results of the resolution that happened at Versailles. Okay, so it's still happening and yeah. obviously there's and you lived in in Jerusalem, right? Yeah, I I emigrated uh when I was almost Evan's age, he's the the hero of the piece. Uh a little later, I was uh, 17 uh when I first arrived there in 1966. And I stayed oh, I stayed there for 11 years. Wow. And then didn't you go to college there too? Yeah, I went to school there uh, after a year of just learning Hebrew. Then I went to university for a couple of years. And then I managed to get into medical school. Not sure exactly how I managed, but I tried and tried. And I got into medical school in Tel Aviv in 1969. Wow. I always thought that Israel was at the top of the world in regards to medicine, you know? Well, that's that's the way they feel in Israel about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the fact of the matter is that it is a fine system there. And uh, many Israelis, uh, you know, sometimes have to go abroad to study. Mm-hmm. It happens here in this country as well, in, in the United States. Uh, and so a lot of Israelis uh, go to Romania or Germany or mm-hmm. Italy. And, uh, you know, I was considering that uh, before I finally got accepted. I'm glad wow. I to go study at Padova in, in Italy. Wow. I mean, okay, so this is the other thing. So you've traveled around, and I think that's something that lends itself of being able to tell a historical story that's true, but still fiction, right? Um, having been to these places, and because they're so ancient in history compared to America, obviously, we're ancient in a Native American people history. But when it comes to, you know, these kind of wars and, and going to just some of the the ruins and the buildings um they tell the story of indeed people. and and that was one of the things that impressed me because it seemed like everywhere i went when i first arrived in israel in 1966 
uh, history was always around the corner because the fact that the Turks had occupied uh, Palestine uh, under the Ottoman Empire for, for six centuries, practically. And basically, this was the backwaters of their empire. And so very little changed. And so when you're looking at the Temple Mount, for example, you're basically like in a time machine looking back uh, 700 years, practically. Because nothing changed, really. And so there was that sense of uh, being a, a moment in time that was uh, preserved, inadvertently, mm. uh, perhaps, but preserved. So the, the places that uh, I write about um, in 1918 were largely unchanged. And so it's always interesting to look at old uh, journals and old uh, travel guides and to see exactly the change of the name, certainly, that go with the change of empire from the Ottoman Empire to the British Empire, then to Israel and Jordan. Uh, obviously, the names change a bit, but the places remain largely unchanged. Mm. And Jordan, that's interesting, too. I mean, that's... That I I do believe that's somewhere where the oldest wine comes from. Well, the, well, the it's <laughs> like the the birthplace of wine. <laughs> There's like that whole region, and people I forget that too. It's not really, Napa. I love Napa. It, it, but isn't, I'm just it isn't. It isn't Napa, but I'm sure that a lot of places in the Mediterranean area would would uh, claim to be the oldest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've done some we've done some uh, interviews on history, the history of wine, and and Lebanon came up as one of the. Um, top places and um yeah that a researcher a scientist on wine he was I, I, in I, jordan and that's what he said that's it, I, I, it comes from i there. defer i defer <laughs> it obviously is well aged <laughs> <laughs> that's right that yes it's yeah i don't drink it from way back then but um <laughs> but going going to the story can you give everyone just an overview of the story of the book because i don't want to ruin it for people but just give them a little overview but don't sell it out <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, I, I would start with the uh, the cover that you have hovering over your I shoulder, that hovering over mine, uh, because what we see here is that the cover is dominated by two images, the old city of Jerusalem down below in dark blue colors, and above it, a murky sky wherein we see uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II. And so clearly the book largely deals with the old city of Jerusalem and the Kaiser. Um, when you, however, look at, for example, the copy on the back of the book, it starts with another narrative. In the summer of 1914, 16-year-old Evan Sinclair leaves home to join the Great War for Civilization. So suddenly we have this character, Evan Sinclair. And mm. the question then is, for the reader, what does he have to do with, with the Kaiser and with Jerusalem? And we see that in the next sentence here. Little does Evan know that despite the war raging in Europe, the true source of conflict will emerge in Ottoman Palestine, since it's from Jerusalem, where the German Kaiser dreams to rule as Holy Roman Emperor. And so that's the connection, because mm. Evan is basically entering a field of action that largely has to do with the machinations of the Kaiser. Mm. And what I draw out as the book begins even is the realization of that fact mm -hmm. that largely eludes us when we learn history. Uh, mm -hmm. Wilhelm is sort of at the center in regards to starting. We, we all hear about Franz Josef and the assassination in Sarajevo, but we don't really know what was behind the scenes. And indeed, there was a lot of maneuvering over decades mm -hmm. 
in regards to what Kaiser Wilhelm did. So this basically is a hero's journey. The hero is Evan Sinclair. If we use the uh, mm-hmm. archetypes of uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, this young man then is the, the person who occupies that role, uh, that archetype. And if he's the uh, the hero, then who's the villain? Kaiser Wilhelm. Mm-hmm. And he is an amazing character. Uh, he's really a buffet of the bizarre uh, <laughs> from the standpoint of what he brings in his personality. Um, there's a, a, a wonderful description of him uh, from a German historian uh, about uh, his personality. And I, I would I just want to read this, just sure. to throw that into the mix. Uh, this is a, a historian for those who are interested in, uh, Thomas Nipper, Nipperdary, uh, who wrote this in the early part of the 20th century. While Wilhelm was gifted with a quick understanding, he was at the same time superficial, hasty, restless, unable to relax, without any deeper level of seriousness, without any sense of sobriety, without any concern for balance or boundaries, or even for reality and real problems, uncontrollable and scarcely capable of learning from experience, desperate for applause and success, romantic, sentimental, and theatrical, unsure and arrogant, with a hyperactive sense of grievance and an exaggerated bravado and desire to show off, to be the supreme warlord. Wow. This is kind of an interesting character, and this kind of comes out as he interacts Mm -hmm. with people around him and with the world at large. Mm. Uh, so th- basically what we have here that is is a hero's journey of a young man into this big, ad- very larger-than-life adventure and how this is basically revolving around the machinations of one man uh, and his aspirations, especially as it related to Jerusalem. Well, I think this is the thing about history, right? It's always about getting into the psyche of the people who are leading at the time. I mean, that's really the thing is history. This history is so fascinating because it's like, why did this person do this? And then, you know, life changing events happen just from one person and this kind of his personality, there's still people running around doing that same thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Without, without naming names, <laughs> just saying. Fit that description pretty well. Uh, yeah. What's also amazing is not just uh, the character of the Kaiser, which is amazing enough, uh, that allows a person such as a writer to to approach a, a book like this with such a rich amount of material. Uh, you also have amazing characters like Gertrude Bell, the great uh, archaeologist and explorer, and, and an amazing woman in her time. In uh, any time, uh, you have T. E. Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Winston Churchill. You have oh, wow. people who are large, and and they're basically all populating this book. In addition to uh, people actually on the ground in 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 Ottoman Palestine at that point. In mm-hmm. particular, we have the Hashemites, that is uh, Emir Faisal and his father Hussein in Mecca. Mm-hmm. And you have, on the other hand, you have the early Zionists. You have Asher Ginsburg, who's also called Achad Am, and you also have. Um, uh, Chaim Weizmann, who became the first president of Israel. So you have these major players before they were even major players uh, on this uh, field of battle. This must have been fun to write, but it, to me, 
it, you're lucky you have like computers now because this would be what we would call the chart of the world. You know, <laughs> my mom tried to write a historical novel once, and this was way back when, I think in the early eighties, maybe. Yeah. And, um, at this point, eventually the one, the our actual living room, and she's an artist, all the art came down. And a friend who had a newspaper, like, go figure, we have friends in newspapers, but gave us a big roll of newsprint, the actual paper, and we rolled it around, and we did the chart of the world, because she couldn't type, like, did they have a typewriter in China at this time? And she was just doing a historical novel in Kenya, where yeah. we lived. And yeah. so it just, we next thing you know, I'd come home from school and have to, like, help fill out this chart. The book never got written. <laughs> <laughs> the charts are, the that chart must be one was, hell of a chart, though. <laughs> one heck of a chart. I wish we still had it today, you know, because that was it was pretty epic. And so, getting into your book, because I think you are an excellent writer. I'm at the beginning of it, but your writing, um, you really set the scene. And I think it is really to be able to pack that much history. You have a use of characters, like you identify with the characters, but you really get into the setting immediately i mean it's just you're in the book you are in the story uh, you're an incredible writer and so i'm i'm excited so that's why i say don't don't no spoilers for me but yeah. won't say a but, word <laughs> but no but and or for the audience we want them to get the book but um to be able to put this all together like how long did it take you to do i mean uh, you're lucky you have computers as was my point <laughs> Well, when I, when I started this adventure, uh, this was uh, in the mid-90s, frankly. And mm -hmm. so w th this book actually grew out of those earlier writings. Uh, I started actually writing historical fiction after the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin. And with that, unfortunately, came the death of the peace process that okay. he had begun. There's a lot of debating about the, the quality of the Oslo Accords, uh, but frankly, they were a stepwise journey to create trust. And sadly, trust is a real missing commodity in the Middle East right now. Yeah. And it, unfortunately, uh, he was assassinated by a right-wing extremist, uh, Israeli, uh, who basically didn't want to see the peace process. In that mm -hmm. case, they became almost a strange bedfellow with, with people in Hamas who also did not want to see Mm -hmm. a peace process. Uh, each side wanted just one state between the river and the sea, that is, between the Jordan River mm -hmm. and the Mediterranean. Uh, the uh, people of Hamas wanted that to be an Islamic state. Mm -hmm. The uh, ultra-nationalistic uh, uh, Jews wanted that to be a Jewish state. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's, it's a land that uh, is claimed credibly, arguably, by two people. And I'm hoping that we're going to get back to a way to uh, create some type of accord based on uh, yeah. two, two people. But that's mm -hmm. a side issue. The uh, writing, as as you initially asked before I launched into that tangent, uh, started in the mid-90s before I had the advantage of a computer. But I did uh, steal. Oh. I stole my mother's Encyclopedia Judaica, which uh -huh. came in very handy. Uh, and of course, I had a lot of wonderful adventures on the internet in buying old uh, <laughs> travel guides, old, old uh, biographies that are out of print. And so there was a, a wealth of books that I accumulated that basically informed. So, for example, when I'm writing about T.E. Lawrence, I have his collected letters. I wow. have all of his his original books. 
Um, when I'm writing about Gertrude Bell, the same thing. I have all of her collected letters. Wow. I have you know, all, all of her writings and her translations of Persian poetry, for example. And so, oh, yeah. so there's a, a lot that goes into it. But again, I started this process that led to Wages of Empire long ago. But because before it brought me to Wages of Empire, I published uh, a book um, in 2011 called Foxes in the Vineyard. That's set in mm-hmm. 1948. Oh. Uh, at the transition from uh, British uh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Palestine to Israel and Jordan. And that's the world that I found 18 years later when I came to mm-hmm. Israel uh, and in Jerusalem in particular, I was living 100 yards away from the border between Israel and Jordan. And I would look over into the old city of Jerusalem during that first year wow. when I was 17, 18 years old. So th- this is a topography that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. It's a story that I I, I love because I've grown up uh, learning mm-hmm. about this in different iterations. When I was uh, a, a boy, uh, grown into adolescence, I was a very active in the Zionist movement. When I came to Israel, and one of the reasons mm-hmm. I came was because of Zionism, mm-hmm. I learned about the other narrative, as especially mm-hmm. you know when at university I met Palestinian guys from either East Jerusalem, the territories, or from within the Green Line. Um, And then I understood their narrative. And just as I felt a connection uh, with this land, I came quickly to understand that they had a very strong connection. Just as I had a love of this land, they had a love of that land. And so I really was able to develop that Mm -hmm. that real sense. And that stayed with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, so in regards to the writing of this, again, Foxes in the Vineyard came before it. And then I did another book called The Rabbi's Night that's set at the transition from uh, the um, the Crusades to the Mamluk Caliphate Ooh. in 1290 at the end of the Crusades. And so, you know, th- th- those were also wonderful touch points. And this now is sort of set somewhere between between the Crusades and <laughs> 1948. Um, but th- this is now uh, a, a wonderful way to c- continue the story because there are some through lines through all these books. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, the Holy Land, in particular, Jerusalem. Sure. And the other uh, connecting thread is the Sinclair bloodline. And so the fact mm-hmm. that Evan Sinclair is here is uh, no happenstance. He's part of of the continuing story. Okay. Well, you know, the the first thing that came to me that I wanted to ask you when, when I started reading is, you know, Evan getting out there at 16. And, and there are so many stories, even American Civil War stories of young men, even, you know, younger than 16, going to war. Yeah. And having that, I mean, you you're and I understand, like, you know, we were we live shorter spans of, of life as we do now as human beings. So now we're, you know, we're the jolly green giants and we'll live till a hundred and something, you know, but when you go to have that kind of conviction to do something like that and not, you know, what's out of it. <laughs> I want to say of this, like you're not going to, you have that strong um, to go to war and that belief system that had been something interesting to explore as, as a writer. Well, indeed. And, and the fact of the matter is that, you know, when I, you know, went to Israel and I was there during 
1967, uh, as the situation was growing very dire because uh, the president of Egypt closed the Straits of Tehran to Israeli shipping, which is an act of war. And there were, were uh, wow. about four weeks or so of great tension, rising tension. That's basically what it was called in Israel, the days of tension. And during that time, um, you know, just as now, if we look at a world in turmoil uh, from a distance, there's not a whole heck of a lot we can do about it. But if we're mm-hmm. right on site, then we can do something. So mm-hmm. my response was to go down to the draft board in in, in Jerusalem and to volunteer. Uh, I just, you know, I had to because mm-hmm. I felt very strongly about what was going on. I gave them my phone number um, and I'm still waiting for the call. Yeah. Come yet <laughs> in the ensuing, you know, 50 years or so. Uh, but but uh, and I was actually kind of relieved that it didn't because I was very ambivalent, yeah. but felt strongly enough to do it. And so I could get inside the way that Evan was feeling as he was sawing what mm-hmm. was happening in the world. He also wanted to get away from his controlling father. That's mm-hmm. the other issue. See, that's that that is a reoccurring thing that we have actually seen on. Um, Many stories, uh, that are true stories of, uh, men in the military of, you know, we, we do a military Monday show. Every first Monday is a military history show. And, um, going into even just like Lee Marvin, the actor Lee Marvin, right? Had a really bad upbringing, but mm-hmm. went off on his own, went hunting in the Everglades in the National Park area now. Wasn't a national park, I don't think then yet, but he grew up. On the land, and there's there's so many generals, and and they're really the rogue, the rogue generals. You know what I mean? And and I'm not saying that they're it, rogue isn't bad, but they're like, if we're going to have to get this mission accomplished, mission accomplished. You know, no matter what they have to do, and it always seems that these generals that can really put themselves out there come from something that um, provoked some kind of background you know familiar family or maybe a loss of someone in their family that they needed some kind of outlet and also i think to prove to themselves that they're somebody yeah you know yeah so from a, a different standpoints you know making this a good military thursday now yes um, uh you know evan basically then uh you know slips away he hitches rides across the country without no, no more spoiler alerts, but ultimately he makes his way as a stoker on a steamship across the Atlantic, ends up in the Mediterranean, and I won't go any further, but ultimately yeah. he is really uh, on a course. But there's a lot of ambivalence and there's fear. Mm-hmm. And um, that also, I think, is an interesting... I don't know if you've arrived in your reading to that point, but there's a, a, a lot of ambivalence on his part about what he's actually doing now that he's there. And uh, so it's not a uh, singular and uniform decision he's made. It's one that has to be reimagined. Right. And so as the book goes on, you'll see that th- there's different levels of commitment. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's normal, isn't it? Because if you Absolutely. don't question, yeah. then yeah. what, you know, then yeah, you've got a question, you've got to think like, Hey, and, and, <laughs> and then you're really in this situation going, whoopsie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's life. That's life. The other thing about your writing, um, you're talking about, you know, just all these people, just it, Lawrence, you know, reading their work, 
there's something even you know when you look at some of you know the the Persian poets, I think some of the best writing in the world comes from this, and it's um they have like it it's not necessarily it's softened but like right to the point. There's just this um I don't know they're just really amazing, and so when I think like even like Khalil Gibran the prophet and things like that when you read you know those kinds of pieces the way he wrote. Mm. The, does that kind of writing influence you? Because there is like um, a softening, yet at the same time we're going. You know yeah, what I mean well, with your so, writing? So I, I haven't read in the original, but I've read uh, Hafiz, uh, who's a Persian poet, as well as, of course, Rumi, who was mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. beyond Persian. He was, you know, had a much wider voice and a wider audience. And I actually returned just last year from a trip uh, to uh, Turkey in order to visit oh. Uh, the sites uh, that, that, were fo- that were focuses for Rumi's work, um, but that's wow. a side issue. Uh, so th- that's certainly uh, been a major uh, way that I, I also relate to the region is through that that poetry. And again, I haven't written as extensively as I should. I do, I do read a, a bit in the translation of uh, current Arabic uh, poetry from Palestinian poets, but again. Uh, mm. that also informs the humanity of both sides. And that's mm. terribly important. Of course, you know, Israeli poetry is also something that I love. Mm. And, and the, again, it, it, it really informs uh, a person as to the, the substrate of, of, you know, where where are these feelings of, of, of love, of land coming from? Mm-hmm. And, no, and, exactly. And, and the humanity of both sides, yeah. like you said. Yeah. And I think that's something so important even like what we're seeing now with ukraine and russia you know there's a lot of you know russian soldiers turning around saying i'm not doing this you know i'm out i'm bailing yet you know that to me that's a very old war that's happening now it's the same kind of feels similar in a way you know it's very sad you know i guess we're destined uh to repeat history because not of us not uh enough of us remember it Mm-hmm. So that's where also this comes, I think, as an, an important uh, mm-hmm. juncture, because it is very important to know our history. And the title, Wages of Empire, that is a fantastic title. Now, do you, did you just like, oh, that's it? I mean, what, I want to know the process of making a book title, okay. because once it's out, it's out. I know. Okay, I have to acknowledge that that wasn't the original title. <laughs> this isn't a spoiler alert because nobody cares. <laughs> but the original title was going to be "Sins of the Fathers" ah. for this for this uh, trilogy, frankly, because the fathers of the time, the old men at Versailles, who were creating these maps of the world, you know, really, wow. uh, you know, gave us. Uh, and, and I don't know what the alternative would have been. But, you know, clearly this didn't work out so well. So Sins of the Fathers really lent itself. Unfortunately, Sins of the Fathers is the title of probably at least a dozen other books. Uh, It's just too damn good. It's Mm. too popular. Um, And when I was uh, nearing uh, publication, uh, approaching, you know, about a year off, I remember I came across... uh, the title of a book in the historical novel review that I get, and a new historical novel had just come out called Sins of the Fathers, another one. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I can't, I, this can't, this can't happen. 
And so I, I then reflected about what I was writing about. I'm writing about empire, whether the Ottoman Empire, British Empire, Russian Empire, but I'm writing about empire or what the Kaiser envisioned as his empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then wow. instead of, uh, the, the idea of sin, because there is a, a, a real uh, malfeasance here that, that's taking place when you're empire building and, and killing. And of course, the wages of sin is mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. So that's where wages kind of I, came. I, I love the title. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, because it's it's you know the empire, the building of an empire. It, it's we've been doing that for years. I mean, even Star Wars has the empires. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know. So I mean, when you think about that, you know, you go back to history. It's like, and here comes they're almost they want to be lords. Like literal lords, and, you know? and that's the, the beauty and the staying power, uh, staying power of of that uh, of the series, the empire, you know, that, that they're writing about is again, I think, relatable to this because I'm going with it as well. So after Wages of Empire will come the next book, which is going to oh. come out within the next uh, few months, Crossroads of Empire. Oh, good. Oh, wow. All right. So I like this. This is, and that, and that will continue the story immediately where, where Wages of Empire ends. Oh, wow. Okay. Good. Good. So I'm, I'm excited about this because I think Me you're too. really doing some history. I mean, but yeah, yeah I, I, I think your Google history must be fascinating and, and you know what I mean? And, and understanding what you're reading. That's the other thing. I think, you know, it's like you, like I was saying, it reminded me of like going back to school. You know, going. Oh wow, we we don't talk about the Ottoman Empire that often. I mean, it, you just don't. It, it's it's kind of shuffled aside, maybe in this country. Maybe that's what it is. I mean, I grew up in Africa, so I don't know if that was just a big deal at the time. I don't know. <laughs> well, the, the the fact remains that the the world is very crowded with new events, with current events, and it's really hard to have the band. Yeah sometimes to go beyond that but if it's in a way if it's done in a way that's uh that's approachable and it speaks to people then you know it, it's not just uh, you know dry you know dates or facts no it, no and that can't be and 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 i when i read about the kaiser when i read about lawrence i read about these other characters they're, they're so relatable to the present mm. well the thing too, yeah, it is really, because people are people at the end of the day. And, yeah. you know, when you have those kind of personalities too, you know, that want to be the lords, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is it, right? Um, it is fascinating to read it and, and also kind of brings us up to, hey, are we letting history repeat itself? Yeah. What are we signing up for here? You know, it's like, why you, we need to, I think your kind of book is important to bring about thoughts of peace instead of anger. And um, because all of that is like a big bluster of hot wind, you know, but it destroys so much. And when you can read what happened in history from these, maybe some peace can come from it. And I think it'd be cool to put this into like a Netflix series or something, too. Would you would you let them do it? Come on. You know, you would. <laughs> yeah, In a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. I think because it, it's there's so much. um you know, characters are so important and that's what history is, but to do it right is crucial. Is that something you, you really work on? Cause I mean, you're definitely getting us in there with the people, but it's getting those characters. That's what sells it. Like yeah. you're saying beyond the, the dates, you know? 
And I don't know what the opposite, opposite of a spoiler alert is, but I think it's re, it has to be reassuring that I devote several pages at the end to a character list. And mm. so for people who may come across a name, you know, after a few chapters, because the the, the lives and the stories are interwoven here. And yeah. People who haven't met yet, but, gener- but generally will at some point in the course of the the books, they will meet. But uh, we may be writing about a character uh, after a few more chapters when we're dealing with other issues. And so it certainly, I think, will help the reader to kind of flip to the back and say, who is that again? Yeah. And, you know, and, and without having to flip back in the book and go backwards. Yeah. Well, because, you know, history is complicated and so are human beings. We made it complicated. And and again, I wanted to also go into depth with with, with characters. I I don't have many walk-ons at all. Yeah. uh, You know, and so every every character here has some backstory. And uh, I want them to care whether or not I want them to care about Evan or want them Mm -hmm. to care about the Kaiser, what, what created him. Um, and I, I won't go into detail here, but there were many factors that, that flowed into the development of his personality, his wow. personality. I like that you have Churchill in there, too, because he's fascinating. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and again, he, he, he's there for, for a very clear reason. Um, when you get to that point uh, of the book, you'll see why he's uh, important. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited to have you here on Big Blend Radio. Everyone, michaeljcooper.net is the website, but your book's available everywhere through bookshop.org, through Amazon, through all of those places. For And people, you could get it in a bookstore. How about that? Yeah. I mean, go figure. We can start. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure and really appreciate your work that you're doing because I know that's – You've got a good brain to be able to do it, to oh, put it all thank together. Thank you very much, Lisa. I really appreciate the, 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 the time we've spent together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Big Blend Radio. Keep up with our shows at BigBlendRadio.com.